Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's wonderful to be together. This morning we are, we are preaching, this, uh, the, this is week two after our launch. Hello, I'm there. Damn, very exciting. And this is week two after our launch. And what are we doing for these two weeks? Uh, we just want to put some stakes in the ground. Uh, when I say stakes, I'm not meaning the food. I know some of the men set up stakes. No, it's not, it's not Monday Madness experience. No, we're putting some stakes, meaning some, some, making some decisions of who we want to be as a church and as a people. What type of values do we want to hold on to as, as we pioneer this incredible thing called life changes militant into this area? So, I believe this is a prophetic season. Last week, I, I began the, the sermon by telling the story of Florence Chadwick. Does anyone remember the story of Florence Chadwick? What? I see two. I got a few. That's good. Let me tell it again for those who don't remember. And Diane, it's lovely to have you here. We are neighbors, so it's good to, to be here. We're slowly bringing a whole block of flats with us. And that's amazing. But uh, Florence Chadwick was in 1952 the first woman to swim the English channels both ways. She went from France to England. And then she went from England to France, and she set these records. And she just her life was to set record after record of swimming across distance, great distances. So much so that she wanted to be the first woman that would swim from the Catalina Islands to the, the north coast of California. Uh, and, and she was she was going to do this in 1952. And she set out on this arduous 26-mile journey, just swimming, 26 miles, crazy talk. But it was, it was not just... Casual, easy going. There was shark infested water, so it was ice cold. And she was in and she had trained for this, but boats went with her just to make sure they could keep the sharks at bay. Uh, this was a treacherous journey as she was doing to set this record. But as she went ahead and, and mile after mile was clocked and she kept going, all of a sudden, near the very end, a big fog drew over. And all the courage that was inside of Florence Chadwick suddenly went to nothing. As she suddenly realized she hadn't planned for this fog, she hadn't planned for this, this, this mist to descend. And the, the vision of the shore would suddenly disappear. And she didn't know how far she was any longer. And fear gripped her. She started to say to the boat's next to her, Pull me out, pull me out, I'm done. But her mother was in one of the boats and said, You're nearly there, girl, you're nearly there. But she didn't know, she couldn't do it. She pushed her a little bit more. But then the, the fear, uh, the courage had gone. It had totally gone. She said, I'm done, pull me out. So they reluctantly pulled her out of the sea into the boat. And with that, she realized she was half a mile away from the shore. She had pushed through 25 and a half miles, but because the fog had come, she had lost all courage and said, I'm done. A few months later, she said, I want to try this again. She repeated the feat. But this time, she said that she, had, she put a visual image of what the shoreline looked like. So the next time, the same fog pulled in over, but this time, instead of Paul saying, pull me out, she pressed on through the fog and found her way to the shoreline. And she was able to complete this incredible swim. Powerful, powerful story. A woman who said that because I've lost my vision, I lost my courage, so I needed to find out what my vision was to keep my courage up. That story has gripped me in the last couple of weeks. And I, I realized for me, the reason why it's so true for me is that when we lose sight of our vision, we start to shrink back from the God design that He's placed in our lives. That's good. I want to tell you that a people without a vision are a people without a future. And a people without a future always go back to their past. If you don't have a vision, I'll tell you, your, your default will not be to, to keep going. Your default will be pull me out. It's the default nature of who we are. When we lose our vision, the Bible tells us we perish. I want to tell you this morning that my, 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 my aim this morning is to make us so convinced of who you and I are called to be. 
that when the pressure and the storms of life hit, we won't shrink back. That's my prayer, that we would be so equipped. That, because I want to tell you this storm, if you're not in a storm right now, a storm is coming. Yeah, good word. It's called life. <laughs> life happens. And I want to tell you, I've seen too many Christians start off with faith, with faith and courage and excitement. But when a storm comes, they say, I wasn't prepared for this. Tell me out. Then they shrink back from what God has called them to do. I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is calling us forward. He never applauds safety. He never applauds lukewarm, passive living. Jesus is not the champion of passivity. Average. No, he's calling us onwards and upwards in Christ Jesus. Now I really want to tell you, we have a theology in Life Changes Church that the best is yet to come. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, I want to tell you the best is yet to come. Now, I didn't say the easiest is yet to come. I said the best. So sometimes that will mean there will be storms and we'll have to go through them to get to the other side. So now this morning we're going to turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. And this sermon I've entitled, Because the Prophet Adele has spoken. <laughs> Hello, from the other side. Anyone know that one? Anyone heard that, uh, that word before from Adele? You want to sing it to your neighbor? Hello, from the other side. That's the title of the sermon this morning. If you never thought you'd see the day you'd have it's raining men and Adele in the one church service. Wow, amazing. We're just so relevant. <laughs> anyway, we're going to read scripture. The scripture will be on the screen behind me, but if you've got your Bibles turned there, it's great to see it in the black and white ink in front of you. Mark chapter 4. Last week we were in Mark chapter 2, two chapters over, and here we go. Verse 35 says this As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. In verse, five, chapter, verse 1 of chapter 5 says this, So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning for us as a people, as individuals, as families, as a community that is building, that's, uh, that's launching out on this pioneering journey. They want to be salt and light to our city. They want to be uh, a people of influence in our city, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, Father. But I thank you, Father God, right now in this moment, in this place, today, would you speak to our hearts? God, we're not here with just our intellect, we're here with our whole body. And I pray, would you speak to me as I preach? Would you put courage in hearts? Would you convict us? Would you call us? Would you equip us? Would you challenge us, God? I thank you, God. We, we tremble at your word and we say your word is truth. Sanctify us by your word. And with that, I'll say amen. <laughs> Turn that off there. Thank you. Dramatic. No, it's fine. I can look cool with it. <laughs> Wonderful. Am I on? Yes. Everyone, can you hear me? Brilliant. That was actually planned, dramatic at the end of a prayer. Have a boom. There we go. Thank you. 
So this morning, as we're preaching, hello from the other side. The story starts with the disciples. Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Today, I want to put two stakes in the ground and who we are as a people to, to call us to something, to say hello from the other side of a couple things that will sustain us in the midst of storms, pressures, trials, and temptations, and, and the like, as we press on to what God has called us to. So number one, will come up on the screen. As I believe today, we're going to be a people who have to say, it's not coming up on the screen. We, we really struggle with that. Number one, hello from the other side of convenience. It says, number one, hello from the other side of convenience. I want to tell you, I, I, the scripture, the scripture begins, the first line says, as evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. Now this scripture in Mark 4 is echoed in Matthew 8 and in Luke 8 as well, three guys. And if you read the stories that precede this thing, as evening came, what happened in the day before, that day was a wild day for these disciples. This was a day that started early, that ended late. It was full of, of healings, of teaching. Jesus was teaching. I can, remember, I can imagine they were taking notes furiously. The kingdom of God is like, what? what did he say? Taking notes, copying each other. Then he was, saying, he was, he was telling them, hey, we're going to do miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. In, in the book of Luke, it tells us he cast out demons in this day. This was a big day of ministry. These guys were done. They probably were going at 5 o'clock. They were going, oh, can't wait. There's, there's some stuff, good stuff on TV tonight. As soon as Jesus says, we're off for the day. I'm excited. Going to get home, popcorn. They're like, oh, good series tonight at home. I'm paraphrasing, of course. There were no series back then. We think. We don't know. But anyway. No, we do know. There were no series. But what happened was Jesus said, Jesus said no. And this, this chapter comes. And he says this. As evening came. Jesus says, guys, we're not done. Get in the boat. We're going to the other side. And, and I read that. As I read that passage. It says, as evening came. I realized for these disciples. These young boys. This was not a convenient time. This this moment where Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And call them to the mall inside of them. This is a moment where they were tired from the day. They'd been up all day. They were longing for some respite. But Jesus says, as the evening came, now's the time. We're going to cross over. It was not only an inconvenient time. This was an inconvenient place. They were in a place called Capernaum, which was safe. This was close to where they all lived, where Jesus had called them, where probably their families lived. And then Jesus says, now let's cross over to the other side. An area called the Gerasenes, which was an area that they were not supposed to actually be. And frequent. This was a Gentile area across the lake. It was a, a type of thing, you know, I can imagine those days we say on the other side of the tracks, don't go that side. Oh, we don't know the people who live there. For these people, like, don't go the other side of the river, other side of the lake. We don't go there. And we find as you read on, this was a place where demoniacs, people who were full of demons, were living in cemeteries. This was a crazy place. For Jew, good Jewish boys, don't go that side. So Jesus says to him now, as evening came, let's go to that side. Not a convenient time, not a convenient place. But Jesus says, we're going to the other side. I want to tell you, I, I feel too often in my own self that when I, I often start saying things like this with God, I don't know if you're the same, but I often have these, these conversations with myself and God where I feel God calling me to something, calling me to push through my apathy, push through into a, a new level of faith, trusting it for something bigger, to give up something. I, I often have this conversation where I'm, Jesus says to me, Gabe, it's time to go over to the other side. I say, yeah, yeah, when, when I've overcome the sin, God. Just give me a few weeks. I'm just still trying to get the sin thing under control. And I, I know I've also said stuff times where God, when I've got more time, Jesus, you know, I'm very busy these days doing Christian stuff. I'm very busy, Jesus. No, I'm, I'm a pastor. I've got a lot on my plate. 
Or I say things, when I, when I get, maybe you say this, when I get that promotion at work. Or maybe when I've attended that course. Then when I've been at church for a little bit longer, a little bit a longer time of, of attending church and getting to know stuff. Or maybe when I've just read a little bit more. I want to tell you, so often we are people who make excuses when Jesus says, it's time to cross over to the other side. Am I the only one? Thank you, thank you, thank you for the one or two honest people. <laughs> but I really, well, I really believe that the enemy says to us, settle down, water down, back down. That's the voice of the enemy, always. Don't be too radical. Settle down, man. Sheesh, don't be too extreme for Jesus. Don't be too extreme. You don't want to be weird. Sit back down, back down. Water down your convictions. You know, you don't want to be too out there with what you believe. You've got to be careful. And he says these sort of things. But as a man named Donald Miller, he once said this, he said, It is not so much the aim of the devil to lure me with evil, as it is to preoccupy me with the meaningless. Wow. I want to tell you what I love about the story of Jesus and these disciples, these young boys. The Bible tells you, young teenage boys. What Jesus was doing, he was putting a robust spirit inside of these boys, a robust courage inside of them. These were young guys who were living for three years with Jesus. And, uh, and he was trying to teach them to never settle, to never back down, to never water down. And there was this one step forward, two step back type reality with him and the disciples. It was this crazy involvement. But so much so that from the very get-go, Jesus said, follow me, leave your nets and follow me. He put in their very DNA this radical, robust, and this thing is not convenient, but we're going to give up everything for you. Give up our economy, uh, give up the way we're going to make a living in our future. We're going to give it up to follow you. From the very beginning, he put something robust in his disciples. There's another story in John 2, where Jesus is saying, I'm going to overthrow, I'm going to, the, king, the kingdom of God is here. These disciples were probably hearing with the lens of, of yes, we're about to overthrow, overthrow the Roman Empire. We're going to be there. We're with Jesus. It's so exciting. And it says they're marching down. There's a, there's a road in Jerusalem, heading into the center of Jerusalem. At the T-junction in Jerusalem, the big road, if you turn right, you go to the political headquarters. If you turn left, you go down to the temple. And I can imagine all these disciples following Jesus going, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is here. We're gonna, we, we've given up everything. This is exciting. We've got to get the prize now. We're going to take down those Romans. And they get to the T-junction, and they go, he's going to turn right. He's going to turn right. And Jesus goes, sidestep, we're going left to the temple. And Jesus throws the whole thing on his head. And he goes down John 2 to the temple where he finds the, the money changer. He turns over the tables. It's this crazy thing. They're probably like, oh, embarrassing. Didn't think this would happen today. But in every single thing that Jesus did, I know in my nature, every time I'm confronted with things, I want to turn right. I want to go the way my flesh wants. But Jesus always turns everything on his head and says, I'm going to turn left. We're going to take a different direction, a different detour. He puts this robust nature in him. In, in, in the book of Matthew, he takes Peter and all the disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you're reading the Bible, you might, you might be aware of this passage. If not, it's okay. I'll explain it now. But there's a moment where Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? And there's this great moment where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's this amazing moment. Like, wow, it's so profound. Can I tell you what's also profound? Is the place where Jesus asked that question was a place called Caesarea Philippi, where Jewish boys did not go. In that area, there's a massive crack in the ground, a massive cliff, a, a place where it just descends, a, a precipice where it just goes into the bottom, where, where pagan people used to come and worship the goat god Pan at Caesarea Philippi. This was a place for pagan worship. And Jesus takes these Jewish boys into this place, they're going, what are we doing here? If mom and dad see us, we're getting hiding. 
And they get there, and in that place, Jesus says, who do you say I am? He's putting a robust nature. And we wonder why is he just doing Is it rebellious Jesus? Can I tell you why? In Acts chapter 10, years later, Peter gets a vision from God, and he says, where? To Caesarea Philippi, where Cornelius is living. And he brings the gospel to a man who is a Gentile man. Can I tell you, I believe if Jesus hadn't put that nature in Peter years ago, Peter would never have gone there then. Years later. Nope. Not going there. But Jesus had to take him there. So we're going to the other side. We're going to a place where you're uncomfortable. Where it's against your convenience nature. He put this robust nature in his disciples. And I already I feel God challenging me in the last few weeks saying, Gabriel, you respond in faith now and know that God always has more in store. Can I tell you, I believe this church plant, this is an incredible thing. I love the fact that so many people have said, hey, we're in for this story, to build something from the ground up, to invite friends, to put the DNA to the, to the very foundations of this thing, knowing that a lot of us, our story, there's God, I want to tell you, as you be, are you faithful in this story, God is going to start multiplying your own story. That's the nature of the kingdom. When we're faithful with the small, God gives us more. I know that. I know that this is not the end. This is not the story for it. This is not the full stop on our lives. This is just the beginning with what God is doing. But we have to just now say, we're not living for that day. We live for this day. Put our foot out, knowing that God will give us more. This is the gospel. This is who we are. A, a great theologian said this. His name was Kurt Cobain. <laughs> no, he was the, the lead singer for Nevada. But he said, and, and I find it profound, he said, it's better to burn than to fade away. It's better to burn than to fade away. I'm confused with the quoting uh, secular people. I'll quote John Wesley then. He said it this way. I set myself on fire and people come watch me burn. How's that for an evangelistic strategy? I, you know, I don't have all the words. Well, can I tell you something? I really pray that God is putting inside of us a robust passion that is I think too often we think of that as youthful exuberance. But I believe this is a gospel uh, prerequisite that we are people of passion. People who burn for the gospel. People whose hearts, our hearts cannot help but say, Jesus, this is out of our convenience, but we're going to do it anyway. This is demanding more of my money, I'm in. Demanding more of my time, I'm in. Demanding more of my, it's going to push me beyond my, my, my characteristics of who I am, my nature. I have to be, I'm not a, I'm a shy person, I'm not going to speak. Well, God says, time to step over to the other side. Other side of convenience. And I think, I'm saying this, preaching this to myself, because I think the people who are in most danger of us are people who serve God for the longest. Because can I tell you, as I said last week, the church was birthed in drunkenness. The Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2 and they were filled with, with fire and they, they appeared drunk. And somebody once said, the church was birthed in drunkenness, but over the centuries has slowly sobered up. And we think, no, no, we're getting more mature. No, we're not. We're losing the very essence of what God has called us to be. People who burn for Him. Yeah. And I pray that this is who we are as a people. I want to tell you, we are called to a wild Adventure. This is not some moralistic patch. You know, this gospel is not some moralistic patch. This is this what we've come to is joy unspeakable. Peter calls it joy unspeakable, a joy that you cannot even fathom or describe. I'll tell you, this thing that we come to is zeal uncontainable. You know what they said about Jesus in Psalm, in quoted of Psalm sixty-nine, said, "For zeal for His house consumes." Oh God, would you put that inside me and put us in the church, a people who have zeal consuming us for the things of God and His kingdom. I want to tell you that yes, the demands a great cost, but I want to trump that with that there's a very great reward. Yeah. 
When we've seen the reward, when you see the pearl of great price, what is too much for him? When you see something, can I tell you, when I saw the beauty that is Fiona, for the first time, I said, I will do anything for that girl. In the natural, this is bad. And I tell you, we see, we're not a people who lack passion. The world lacks, it doesn't lack passion. But often it's misdirected and it's given towards things that don't ultimately satisfy. Yeah. But we call to be a people who pursue the king with a passion. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we have to listen to. He was a German uh, pastor in, in the World War II and he was a man who was part of an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler. You've got to listen to a theologian who tries to kill Hitler. I listen to it. I'm like, that's, a, that's my type of guy. Right? That's my type of theologian. I like it. But he said this, this gospel demands my life my soul, my all. Oh, have I lost it? Have I lost something of that in the convenience of this thing called the gospel? This thing called Christianity. Settled for, I've settled for this side of convenience. It's my time, it's my place, and I'll serve the Lord in this way. But God said, no, no, other side. Hello from the other side. We are pioneers. I want to tell you that, and I'll tell the drum that interest. this is not some motivational speak, but to remind you, Charles Spurgeon was mocked week in and week out by his congregation because they said, you keep telling us the same things. And he said, because you always forget. <laughs> we are pioneers. That's who we are. Life may have settled you down. Maybe you've watered down, you've backed down. You are a pioneer called to break through. Yeah. To be a sign and a wonder for those who got desperately don't know their left hand to their right hand are walking in spiritual darkness. You're called to pioneer freedom for sons and daughters. Can I tell you, whenever we step over onto the other side of convenience, we open up greater inheritances for those coming behind us. Do you know that, that this whole moment where they went to the other side, the disciples thought, what is Jesus doing putting us out of our country? Tired, it's all about us. They always said, don't you care? We're going to die. It's always about them. When Jesus said, you don't know what we're about to do, they went on that side. If you go read it over here, chapter 5, there's a demonic, a demon-possessed man. Jesus sets him free. Cast the, the demon to the pigs. The pigs jump off. It's, it's action-packed. This is crazy stuff. And he, this guy said, I want to come with you, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you're going to stay here. The next time we find him, go back across the other side. That one guy who he set free with the demon has turned upside down that whole city. One guy. On the other side of their convenience, people were waiting. Yeah. Wow. That's good preaching. Sorry. I, I really believe that it's time to say enough of the decaf, get another facial herbal tea gospel. You know, how are you feeling? Is it, are you alright? Are you? No, this is robust. This is who we are. We are pioneering people who will not be dissuaded by storms, by, by trials. Can I tell you, this was so huge. I love this. Because that's why they couldn't, they couldn't touch Paul. You know the apostle Paul? They could not touch him. They said, Paul, we're going to throw you in jail. It was great. I think virtual gods. Then they go, okay, okay, then we're going to kill you. He says, oh, to die is dead. They're like, finally to live. Ah, to live is Christ. You couldn't touch this guy. Live, die, storm, rain. He's like, I'm in, I'm burning. For him. It's good. You can't touch these guys. Can I tell you, when we have this in us, can we become the robust people, storms of life, and we go, bring it on. Because we've got a vision of where we're going. We're not bailing out now. We end because we're burning with passion. We were created for a wild story, a story of adventure, and courage, reckless abandoned. Please don't settle for this side of ease, comfort, and apathy. Yeah. Jesus today is saying, right now, I believe in this moment, saying, will you step to the other side? Will you come to the other side with me? 
will you give up this and say, for that, I'll take all of that with faith. I believe this is a big decision season. I feel it in my bones. I feel an electricity in the air. I, I, I don't, I'm not this type of guy. I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I, I don't feel radical things when God comes. I don't. But I know that I know that there's something in the air, that faith level in the air, where God is saying, the water table's rising, will you step up to it now? Don't miss out on the season of grace and God's calling to radical living. Don't miss out on it. I believe it. Everyone alright? That's good. Great, great, great. Point two. So first one's hello from the other side of convenience. The second one is hello from the other side of shame. Hello from the other side. I'm not allowed to sing too often at home, so I'm going to do it today. <laughs> Hello from the other side of the channel. Just joking. I get to sing all the time. I, I really, this is my thing here. My, my understanding of this passage is that I really believe that way too many Christians know that they've been forgiven of their sins, but they continue to walk heavily laden by the stench of their shame that follows them. That's good. Too many Christians, I meet with Christians who go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, I'm in. But they carry around a trail of shame. For years and years and years. They're, they're holding captive to the side. They're free. They know it. They don't know how to walk into it. For the disciples, they knew that Jesus was amazing. They'd seen him. They were not in the dark. This guy was incredible. He was doing crazy things. But, if, but then all of a sudden, the wind and the waves came up. And these, these, these men who were used to the sea. Saying this thing was so big. The wind and the waves were just too big. Even for Jesus. Because if we... Jesus, please, we out. We need out of this. Tap us out. Sorry, Chadwick. I'm done. I'm done. I want to tell you, the storm outside the boat was bigger than what they could control. I, I believe fear and shame. Shame always is driven by things that we feel we have no control over. No control over that thing. No control over that past. I've got no control over these things. It just becomes bigger and bigger. I, I really believe, and this is a, a, a bold statement, but shame has more power over us than we realize. I believe too many of us are still held captive by shame. That's good. We don't speak about it. We've tucked it away behind us. But that thing follows us. That stench follows us and holds us and keeps us pulling back. The shame of what we've done, what was done to us, what others said about us, what we messed up. And that, that, that label of divorce has not left us. The label of, of abortion has not left us. That, that label of, of useless, the label of failure, the, 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 the label of addicts, the label of, of, of uh, whatever you want to put there follows us. Maybe we've taken a step. Yes, Jesus, but that thing still follows us. We don't know how to deal with it. Can I tell you that shame is a manipulative emotion that can trick us into living a boring and shallow life? Two things very quickly. The very, in the very beginning, God gave us two gifts. Intimacy with Him and authority from Him. Jesus. He gave us intimacy with Him and out of that place, authority from Him. When shame came in the garden, when sin into the garden, and shame came, the first two things to go was they walked away from intimacy with God and they gave up their authority from God. We'll do it our way. Can I tell you the same thing happens still today in any type of relationship? In a married relationship, as soon as there's shame, can I tell you the first thing you'll pull away from is intimacy from one another and you'll give up the authority to lead. I see too many husbands not engaging with intimacy with their wives and leading with authority. Why? Because of shame or stuff that's lurking. Intimacy and authority are robbed, are, are robbed by shame. That's good. But I believe Jesus today is saying, 
let's go to the other side. I'm going to war today, if that's okay, on these things. I think the church has far too long, for far too long given up their God design for intimacy and authority, authority because of her shame. Let's go to the other side. We have to understand, to get to the other side of shame, we have to understand the grace of God. And I want to put this deep into who we are, that we are a grace people. I want you to know, we're people of grace. We're people who are unashamedly so, so, so grateful that Jesus has done it all. Let me explain it this way. In the face of our deepest fears and horrendous shame, Jesus is not stressed out. Jesus is not anxious. It's your shame. He's not wringing his hands. He's not out of ideas or resources. Can I tell you, in the face of a storm, where was Jesus in the boat? Dawson. Can I tell you, when God is sleeping, and if God, if Jesus was up going, oh my gosh, get the water, then I'd be nervous. But can I tell you, when God is chilled and relaxed, this door's relaxed. When God is relaxed, we are supposed to live in the same realm of peace. Can I tell you right now, what God is doing, He's not actually going, oh, will they sin, will they not? I think we have an image of God with the lightning bolt. Ah, out of line. Hide it. Come on, get back in line. Can I tell you the good news of the gospel is that God is not stressed out or anxious. He's not worried about ISIS. He's not. He's not concerned about ISIS. He's not concerned about the porn epidemic. He's not concerned even about Donald Trump. He's not. Because he's seen politicians come and politicians go. He remains. He's seen sin rise and sin fall, sin rise and fall, until it violates an ultimate death on the cross when he said, it is finished. We believe that God is in a permanent good mood. That the heavens are open. Gangs of ballet sing a song they say, we live under warm skies. And now they were not singing about David. They were singing about the heavens. That the Father is pleased with us. This is not snakes and ladders where you have to work your way to the top and oh, back down to the bottom. No, from the very moment you say, yes, God, he says, you're at the top. We've got to understand this. We've got to believe this because I'm telling you, shame will keep us doubting this truth. How do we deal with the waves of guilt, shame, fear, condemnation? I want to, I want to share from my life. Whenever I know I'm struggling with shame, I, I know it often, often this happens. Where I open up my Bible or if I'm about to preach. If I'm about to preach, I tell you, I remember opening my Bible about to preach. I hear the enemy's voice going, Fraud. Fraud. How dare you say talk about convenience and shame? Fraud. I know what you do. I know what you did last summer. Actually, I know what you did yesterday. I know what you thought. I know your heart. The enemy goes, Your heart is disgusting. You're lazy. I hear the voice of the enemy. Can I tell you what I've learned to do? I've learned to say this. Yes, I am. But the good news, he is not. And it's not my righteousness. It's not a righteousness required, but it's rather a righteousness supplied. This is the heart of the gospel. The gospel doesn't say, I demand your righteousness. No, it says, yeah, I give you my righteousness. Too many Christians are living, trying to attain righteousness when God says, I've given it to you. I've given it to you. It's like a kid who gets the present, uh, he gets given the bike, and he keeps going to say, Dad, I want a bike, I want a bike. There you go. Dad, I want a bike, I want a bike. Get on the bike. Ride it. This is the gospel. Can I tell you the great news is this this thing called the gospel is called the good news. Too often Christians, I believe, we live it as good advice. The good suggestions. No, it's good news. It's proclaimed. Not not trying to just, let's try to work it out. No, it's proclaimed. It's the good news. You are free. 
Can I tell you, it's still good news to the poor, it's still good news to the broken, it's still good news to the blind, it's still good news to the hungry, it's still good news to the captives, and I am one of all of those. And it's good news to me. It's got to be good news to us. We've got to eat this and drink it. The great news for you this morning is your, your identity is in His strength, not yours. If you're wanting to overcome a sin, can I tell you, your strength is not in you, it's in Him. The great news that it's not in your performance, it's in His performance. It's not in your righteousness, it's in His, it's his righteousness. This morning I woke up with the fact, thinking, you know, I think we play that game too often. We go, we live with God, He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. And we keep going, and we're just praying that by the end of our lives, we pray, we hope on, we end up, He loves me. Can I tell you, most Christians live like that. Nervous that they'll die, and he loves me not. Oh my word, God forbid. Can I tell you that the truth of who Jesus is, is this is it. He loves me. 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 Oh, but you're a sinner. He loves me. Oh, but you're a fraud. He loves me. But you know what you did? Yes, he loves me. That's good. His, his, his love supersedes your shame. His grace supersedes your weakness every single time. There's a scripture in Isaiah 61. Very quickly. If you've got your Bibles, check it. You've got to see this. This is revolution. Isaiah 61. Are you there? Or write it down. Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 2. Go read this at home. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking. He says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger. Okay, you got that? Now, if you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, very quickly just remember that passage. Luke chapter 4, Jesus starts his ministry. Jesus arrives on earth. And you're going to take it down, verse. Well, verse 18, Jesus steps up and he says, He unravels a scroll, and what is the first thing Jesus does in his public ministry? He quotes Isaiah 61. Let me read it to you. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. At this, he rolled up the scroll and said, Today, the scriptures were full. He left up the last part. He left up the last part of God's anger. Jesus said this, and that's why there was such shock and horror. And they were like, what is he doing? He misquoted Isaiah, or did he? He corrected and said, the day of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. Anger is part because of Jesus. Yeah. Can I tell you, Jesus declares today, the Lord, day of the Lord's favor has come. You don't live under the guilt and shame. Step out of it. Come over to the other side. The other side of shame. Here, come on. Amen. Good news, eh? I really believe today is the day we unhook our trailers. Too many people have been trying to follow Jesus and they're saying it's hard work. Why? Because they're pulling their past with them. It's so hard to follow Jesus. Let go of your past. He's dealt with it. He's dealt with it. I want to tell you today that Jesus is here and he's wanting to speak peace, be still, over hearts that are still wrestling with this thing of shame. Think it's still, am I worthy? Am, am I good enough for God? Does He really love me? My sins are so high. God wants to come and say, listen, just like those waves were so high and terrified the disciples, He stepped up and said, peace be still. 
God is speaking to hearts today. I want to tell you storms are coming. As a church, I want to tell you ISIS are coming. Don't be so scared. But I want to tell you the, the future of the church. We know, I think the age of us living in favor with the governments and the church being okay and is coming to an end. We can find it or we can know that it's coming to an end. We can feel it. Lord, we, we can rally against laws. Laws are being passed against us. But can I tell you something? Some people, I believe, as the years go on, will lose their jobs for the sake of Christ. You'll say one thing, and they'll say, no, you, you can't say that or you're going to lose your job. And you, we, people are going to have to make decisions. Yeah. Convenience. Uh, okay. I want to tell you that some people will be killed. I don't want to overemphasize it, but people right now are being killed. Our brothers and sisters in, our, in, in, in Asia are being killed for their faith. Then, being killed in faith in some parts of Africa. M- maybe not here, but I want to tell you, definitely, some of us will be marginalized. We'll be pushed out of social circles. We'll be isolated. Storms will come. Maybe not only in, in extremities, but inside your heart, storms will come. Is this thing real? Is this worth it? Is it enough? Am I enough for him? I want to tell you, a man named Matt Chandler, a preacher in America, he leads a network called Acts 29. And he took 270 pastors and they were going to do a conference in Turkey recently. As they were planning for this conference, the guys in Turkey phoned and said, don't come. With the migrant situation going to Europe, with the political unrest, with ISIS nearby, it's unwise to come and bring a Christian conference to Turkey. So they relocated the whole thing to Rome, and they went there all disappointed, all a little bit nervous, all like quite excited. Oh, we are so close to danger. Oh, excited. Man. And, and, and a lot of them were fearful, saying, oh, what, what's happened? What's going to happen next? And that gentleman says he was preaching. As he was preaching in Rome to these 270 pastors. He looked out the window, and he realized the Colosseum was towering outside. And he realized this was the Colosseum just a mere few thousand years ago. Our brothers and sisters were tortured for the sake of Christ. And he said... The, the greatest empire the world has ever seen rose, rose up like the greatest wave against Christianity and said, we will stamp you out. A thousand years later, a man named Matt Chandler is having a pastor's conference there in their ruins. He says those pastors were paying 15 euros to walk through the ruins of Rome's Colosseum. Well, oh, that's nice. Interesting. Oh, emperor. Okay. It became a footnote in history, but can I tell you the church keeps going. Can I tell you, this is the great news. I want to tell you, I pray that this church, that outside of who you and I will awaken the, the church afresh. That we'll be a church who are not seduced by convenience. That we're not entranced by our shame. That we are rather captivated with nothing else but Jesus Christ and His glorious gospel. Yeah. You want to know the cure for your convenience? Jesus. Yeah, Get a glimpse of Him and burn for Him. If you want to know a cure for your shame? Jesus. Get a glimpse of Him and wash the guilt and shame. Fade away. We really believe that the best is yet to come. My final thought on this whole thing, if we bring this whole thing to a head, as I said earlier, on the other side of their obedience, people were waiting. Yeah. Can I tell you this thing right here? This is, you might be thinking this is just a religious exercise, but I believe this morning that as I came out, I, I prayed this morning, I said, God, I'm coming, I'm sending your word out to war. To do war in the hearts of men and women. The church. Because can I tell you, in your hands, this thing is a matter of life and death. Because we have people waiting who are desperately, they're locked up in essence. They don't know where to turn. They're locked up in convenience. They're locked up in shame. They don't know how to get out of their side. They don't know how to get to the other side. They don't know. And we're people on the other side of obedience. People are waiting. Can we say amen to that? Amen. 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 Thank you. What we wanted to do today, to land this meeting, is I would love us to take communion together.
Communion is a moment where you remember Jesus' death and burial and then ultimately his resurrection. We say thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our lives. As we take communion together, can I tell you who's qualified? Anyone who said yes to Jesus. If you said yes to him, you're qualified to have it. It doesn't mean you have to have a perfect record. It doesn't mean you have to have even confessed your sins yet. It just means you have to say yes to Jesus and say Jesus and come with faith to his table. The, 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 the emblem of the juice symbolizes his blood poured out for you and I to deal us, to rip us out of convenience, to rip us out of boring, shallow existence, weak, uh, watered down, backing down, settling down existence, and call us to the more in him. Can I tell you the blood that pours and pours and pours and forgives us again and again of our sins, our past, present, and future sins forgiven in Jesus Christ. The blood is enough. His body is enough, broken for you. He'll tell you, I'll even feel today, maybe you've done things with your body. You've given your body away prematurely. Maybe you've given your body away to another and your spouse next to you doesn't even know. Or maybe you've done some of your body, you've abused it. Can I tell you, the body of Christ is enough to make you whole again. If you come with faith towards what Jesus has done. So we're going to do that. I'm going to ask... Is it cool if, if a couple of people can stand with this? I'm going to ask you to leave your seat in a moment of faith to come and get the evidence. And then we're going to, we're going to take communion together and believe that, that God is going to break the hold of convenience and shame on our lives. Hello from the other side.